Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to Brooke Boschkovich. Brooke is a registered dietitian, a functional and integrative practitioner, the founder of The Fertility Dietitian, and the creator of the Master Your Fertility and Foundations for Optimizing Your Fertility Programs. The Master Your Fertility program is individualized to each couple's fertility journey, meeting them where they are and helping them work with their bodies to optimize fertility. She takes a deeper look at hormone balance, digestive wellness, and nutrient status to support overall health and redirect the body's focus to reproductive function. This integrative program includes five pillars, nutrition, exercise, movement, sleep, stress, and environment. Brooke is passionate about women's health and fertility and has helped hundreds of women with irregular cycles, PCOS, unexplained infertility, endometriosis, and other fertility struggles regulate their cycles and take home healthy babies. In this episode, Brooke shares the six foundations for optimizing fertility and her best tips for each for both men and women, what non-routine preconception labs you should include in your fertility journey, and what signs may indicate you may need to place a larger focus on your and your partner's fertility. And remember, it takes two to tango and many infertility issues are due to the male factor. So we also discuss what specifically men can do to support their fertility and also what they should be avoiding. Brooke, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on here. I know we have lots of, let's say, mamas, soon-to-be mamas, and people that are thinking about getting pregnant on this show um, or may you know, want to take some notes down for their spouse. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Thank you much, so much for having me, Kate. Always happy to talk about fertility. Especially being the fertility dietitian, right? <laughs> it is my favorite topic. Yes. <laughs> so I'd love to start off Brooke with you just telling us a little bit more about your journey as a dietitian and how you got focused on helping both men and women improve their fertility. Yeah. So my personal story, um, with health really steered me in the direction of fertility and, and women's health in general. Um, so I was going through all sorts of health complications. I, I, I couldn't find answers for, and, and that led me down a path of many doctors and a lot of research on my own. And all while I was doing that, I was in school for nutrition. (laughs) Um, so nutrition was obviously a top of my mind. Um, and I was having to do a lot of research because I was doing my master's in, in human nutrition and the dots started connecting. Um, I started, um, getting to know other dietitians in the field of, of women's health as well. And it just like, I never looked back from there essentially. Um, I kept learning, kept learning, um, a functional and integrative approach, which is oh so important for fertility. Um, and as I started, I always knew I wanted to, to have my own private practice. So as I started like actually working with clients, I realized that of course I have to include the male, like that's 50% of the DNA. Right. And it's definitely not a women's only issue. And and we are seeing that more and more every day, but got to include both partners and, and nutrition and lifestyle luckily has a huge impact on fertility for both partners. Yeah. Do you find Brooke that what's the feedback or reception you get from men when you're talking about like changing whether, I mean, we're going to go through all the things, but like changing their diet or their lifestyle do, are most of them pretty receptive? It's kind of all over the board. So, I mean, by the time people are reaching out to me, they have unfortunately or the majority of them anyways, have been through quite the journey already. And they're either looking at IVF or they're trying to um, improve outcomes if they've already gone that route. Um, I, of course, have a few that early on in the journey, but that's unfortunately not the journey, the, the majority of who I work with. So 
basically by the time they're at that point, they're pretty willing to do anything and everything for the most part. Um, or their, their partner, their, their wife is typically sitting there. Like you have to make these changes because we haven't focused on you at all. And I've been doing all those changes. Like it's time for you to get involved too. Yeah, no, I, I feel like that's most of the cases I see too. And I wish we would pay more of attention to the male earlier on, because then maybe you wouldn't have to go through a lot of those, right. A lot of those painful steps that some of the women I feel like are kind of carrying that burden. hundred percent is men and women should equally be part of preconception care. Like when they just think about having children, even if it's a year out, like making those simple changes early on can save a world of heartache. Um, and when, when the trying to conceive journey actually does start, unfortunately yeah. it's a huge gap. Yeah. Well then, you know what, let's, I mean, let's dive into that. I mean, I could go on <laughs> more about just discussing the male part, but let's talk about both and kind of what you've labeled as your different foundations that promote optimizing fertility and how they each play a role and just, you know, your best tips or recommendations for each of them so that our listeners can take away with maybe what them and their partners should be doing, um, to help improve their fertility. Um, so let's start Brooke with sleep. This is one, I mean, I feel like everyone should be focused on their sleep, but what can we do or what should we be aiming for in terms of sleep to help improve our fertility? First enough sleep is super important. So aiming for seven to nine hours for both men and women is, is important. And then quality of sleep. So if you're having trouble falling asleep or you're continually waking up, um, you're not getting very good quality sleep. Another sign that quality is pretty low is you're waking up tired all the time. Um, there's of course other factors that play into that too, but sleep is such a big foundation to start focusing on. So carving out that time and really making it a priority is so helpful. It's our rest and repair period. So we need really healthy cells that are going to produce lots of energy because fertility is a really energy intensive process for both men and women. And to be able to protect those cells, um, as they're developing an egg and as they're developing sperm, we need a lot of energy and a lot of rest and repair time. Um, so seven to nine hours and work on good quality, um, kind of a crazy, but helpful tip for improving sleep quality is, is mouth taping. So most people haven't heard of that or a lot that I come across. haven't heard of that, but it's a game changer, especially if you know, you breathe through your mouth at night. Um, I mean, we can go into a lot of detail about oh, yeah. that. There's, there's so, <laughs> yeah, there's so much more. And honestly, for anyone listening, if you are curious about better sleep tips, we have a great episode with, um, Chris Moore, who you probably know another fellow dietitian. Um, we have a great podcast on sleep there. And then we also have one with Max Lugavere who was talking about mouth taping. Um, and that can be really interesting as well. So go there because we, we, I mean, we can make this whole episode about sleep, but we are not going to do that. We're going to move on. So everyone can get their helpful tips. Um, what about Brooke? And this is one I see actually, I would say most of the time when I see clients that are, having if issues with infertility, this is the biggest factor, stress. Yeah. It's stress is so complex because it's not only the stress we think about like work stress or family stress or road rage. Like there's mm-hmm. more ways that we can be stressed. It can be actually poor sleep that is leading to our stress hormones being off. It can be under eating that's leading to stress. Also, um, it can be, um, over-exercising when you're, you're also under eating and not getting enough sleep. Like that's also a stressor on the body. Um, blood sugar imbalance is also a stressor. And we, I mean, we could go on and on and on, but stress is huge because if we are living off of stress hormones, we are using up our nutrients really rapidly. We're not getting enough of those resources, AKA nutrients to support things like 
reproduction, which again is so, so energy intensive and your body's priorities to keep you alive, um, before focusing on sending nutrients to support things like egg quality and sperm quality. Yeah. I'm glad Brooke, you brought up even the stress of under eating. Cause I would say the two biggest factors in terms of stress that I see is one that under eating, like we actually have to get like a little bit of weight or a little bit of extra fat back on the body. Um, and then the other is actually the stress of just trying to get pregnant and that stress, like it's, I find that clients I've worked with in the past that have had the most success. It's when they finally let go a little bit and stop putting, um, like I'll, you know, I'll use a a recent client as an example. She was just right. Like her whole life was at that moment was trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant. And it was for about a year and we just changed the focus on let's focus on something else. So they had just bought a house and they were redoing it. So I was like, let's make the house your baby. Let's make the house your main focus, right? Which can be stressful too, but she's an interior designer. So it's a little bit more fun. Let's make that the focus. And not that, right. We can't ever say definitively, um, whether that's what did the trick or, but you know, three months later they're pregnant. She's pregnant right now, but it's sometimes I find it's just that stress of wanting to get pregnant so bad or caring. Like we said earlier, you know, the woman feeling like they're carrying that burden and whether you're going through IVF or, you know, getting lots of testing done, that's stressful in and of its own. So I'm curious, like, do you see that often Brooke, where it's kind of like once they take the stress away from trying to get pregnant? Yeah, definitely. Trying to get pregnant and trying to do everything perfectly to get pregnant for sure. Like, I mean, most, most couples that I've worked with are coming in having tried all of the diets and, you know, all of the cleanses and, um, all of the, the extra things too, that, that go along or are are typically recommended with poor fertility, all the supplements and the acupuncture and all of the things that are so draining. Um, when you're just so stressed out about not being able to conceive and just trying to do everything perfectly. So when we strip it down and kind of change that mindset focus and, and help them feel more confident around how they're supporting their body and not constantly questioning whether they should be eating this or shouldn't, you know, be doing that. Um, it, it definitely makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like a lot of the times it's, all right, let's add a little bit of carbs into your meals back in, right? Which sounds great. And let's take the stress as much as we can, the stress and focus off of having the baby. And it's like, that sounds so much better than a lot of the other modalities or doing like the odd cleanse that you, you know, you read about online. And it's like, well, I'm just going to try anything. Let's try these foundational pieces first and see if we can go from there. So I love that. I, you know, again, stress, we could talk on and on about it. Um, but I'm really curious for this next one movement because I know, and I feel like, especially today, people can really overdo it movement wise, but there are also maybe some that need to start moving a little bit more. What's, what's your best advice for movement when, um, trying to get pregnant? Tuning into what your cycle is telling you can be really helpful for, for starters. So are you ovulating regularly for one? Um, what does your period look like? Is it really symptomatic, um, painful, really heavy, those sorts of things. And then, um, I mean, movement should always be taken in context to what your diet looks like too. So, um, if for instance, you're not ovulating regularly or your period is completely MIA, um, we need to check in on whether you're moving too much, um, over exercising and, and definitely whether you're eating enough or not. But if your period seems to be, you know, pretty consistent, no big red flags in there, and you don't have any movement in your day to day, um, adding movement is, is going to be really beneficial. And it doesn't have to be like start orange theory five days a week. Like that's not the type of movement that I recommend. Um, 
when trying to conceive or definitely when struggling to conceive, like, um, not, not the greatest place to start walking can be an awesome place to start, um, increasing just your daily movement, especially if you have a pretty sedentary job or day-to-day life, like little increments of movement, like maybe you're waking up with a yoga flow in the morning and maybe you're going on a lunchtime walk. And then maybe you're going on a little bit longer walk after work and just, um, getting that blood flowing can be so, so helpful. And carving that time out for movement is also beneficial because, I mean, for so many other reasons, because you can get away from what might be adding more stress to your plate for fertility, whether that's work or a screen of any kind, for instance, um, and just taking a little bit more time for yourself. So it is a little bit nuanced as far as movement goes, like movement can be a really, really helpful tool, but we have to be careful to uh, make sure we're not overdoing it. Strength training is typically awesome for, for helping with, um, hormone balance and, and regulating, ovulation too. So depending on where you're starting and what your body is telling you is, um, important to take into account before getting too crazy with movement. Most people can, can get away with pretty gentle movement. Um, especially if they're not doing anything to begin with. That's great. The work that's interesting. Like I'm glad you brought up strength training too, because that can also, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about blood sugar balance when we talk about nutrition, but that has that benefit too, of helping balance your blood sugars. Um, and I love that like walking or, you know what, we just started swimming because it's nice out now. And it's like, that's also like a de-stressor. That's one of those nice ways that you can take some time for yourself. Also, if you're having your first baby, take that time for yourself because you may not have it later. Um, but if it's number two or three or four, right? Like Brooke said too, just find those little moments, even if, you know, just during your day at work, or if you're working from home, just, I mean, I even tell some clients, like if they're like, I literally can't get outside for a walk. I'm like, do a few squats as you're standing there just to get the blood flowing or some jumping jack, just anything to get your blood flowing is really what you need. And you don't need, we all think we need more movement than we actually need, especially something like strength training really two to three times a week is totally fine. And that can be, you know, just having a pair of weights at home, um, and something easy like that. I'm curious to work to going back to kind of, um, deciding what your movement is also based on your period. What would you say for someone who does one of, it does have one of those, um, like very systematic periods where they're having a lot of symptoms. It's very heavy. What is that telling you in terms of the movement you should be doing? It could be, it could be, well, (laughs) kind of depends on what kind of movement you're already doing, honestly. Um, because if you're doing a lot of high intensity movement already and, um, you're having these really symptomatic periods, I would consider toning it back and making sure you're eating enough. And, um, I mean, definitely focusing on a lot of anti-inflammatory support, which we can talk about with the nutrition piece, but if you don't have any movement going on or or very little movement um, happening and you have symptomatic periods, it can actually be beneficial to decrease symptoms too. Um, of course, also considering keeping your diet, um, in mind as you make changes with movement too, and keeping like period changes in mind too, because if you end up starting a new exercise routine and your ovulation gets really, um, wacky or inconsistent. Um, and then like your period disappears, like obviously that was too much too, too quickly. Um, so still a little bit more nuanced. It can definitely be helpful if you don't have anything going on. Um, and I would still recommend starting with that walking, starting with more restorative type, exercise, like yoga, um, even Pilates, um, and then strength training, like strength training doesn't have to be like super heavy, um, bands or body weight or, um, a pair of dumbbells are awesome. Um, Kate mentioned squats. Squats are an excellent body weight 
exercise and they're working the major muscle groups and getting blood flowing like that, supporting move, like blood flow through the pelvis area, especially can be really anti-inflammatory, which can help um, relieve some period symptoms. If you're listening to this episode, you're already taking steps to ensure the health of you and your baby. And part of taking care of yourself might be taking a prenatal vitamin. Unfortunately, most prenatal vitamins do not contain sufficient amounts of DHA, an omega-3 fatty acid that is essential during pregnancy and the postpartum period for your baby's brain and nervous system development, and to support a healthy pregnancy, mood, and immunity for mom. Given that pregnant women are advised to limit their consumption of fish, taking a high quality omega fish oil supplement like Nordic Naturals prenatal DHA is often the best way to ensure your baby is getting beneficial omega-3s for growth and development. And we didn't forget about our vegan mamas. We offer a vegan prenatal DHA made from sustainable microalgae. Head to nordic.com and use the code naturallywell15 for 15% off one of our prenatal DHAs. I'm glad to Brooke, that you brought up like having bands or there's so many other tools you can use that aren't using a dumbbell or using what we like normally think of as weights or using our body weight. I mean, a push-up. a push-up is strength training and you don't need to start with like a full push-up. wall push-ups. Trust me, you do enough and you haven't done them. Oh, you'll be sore the next day. Like, you know, it's, there's so many ways you can do it. And again, that could be like in between meetings just find a wall. Um, so trying to like, make sure we get in that movement too, but those are really helpful, especially being able to read your cycle too, and seeing how you can tailor your movement around that. Um, I'm really curious about this next one. Detox pathways was one of your foundations. So can you talk a little bit more about that and how that can support our fertility? Yeah. So this is a really big topic. One of the biggest pieces that I focus on heavily um, with my clients is gut health. And that's a major detox pathway. So you want to be pooping every day. Like that's really important. Um, That's a major detox pathway. It takes I mean, our liver packages up a lot of things that our body can't use toxins, even excess hormones and sends it into um, the bowel to be eliminated in stool. So if we're not getting that out daily, we're at risk for hormone imbalance and actually recirculating toxins and putting a heavier burden on our liver, which is really taxing. And it requires a lot of nutrients to be able to package things back up and send them back down their path. Pathways. So we want to make sure that your pathways are open and they're being used efficiently. Um, other ones that, that are important to think about are definitely your kidneys. Um, also your skin, you want to be um, sweating is a really helpful and important detox pathway and then your lungs. So sweating and, and the lungs are, um, where the movement piece comes in too, to support those detox pathways. Um, of course, in context of every everything else. But if we can focus on gut health and, and which is essentially supporting liver health too, first, um, that can make a really big difference because then it's going to support how you are using the food that you eat. So if we have the most perfect fertility diet ever, but we're not really digesting it very well or moving it through very consistently, um, you're not going to be supporting fertility in the way that you, you could be with that nutrient dense diet. No, completely. And I'm, I mean, Brooke, I know as dietitians, like, I mean, I'm just going to say, we talk about poop all the time because it's one of the best indicators for not only your health, but your gut health in particular. So can you talk a little bit about what people should be concerned with if they are going to the bathroom and it's looking a certain way and then what the ideal, right? Like my gut's healthy, what their stool should look like. Yeah. So you should be pooping at least once a day, one to three times a day is definitely still normal. As long as it is pretty solid and you're feeling like, um, not solid, like hard, but smooth, solid, feeling like it's being fully eliminated. Um, it 
to be a brown, not like a really light, light tan brown that can be concern of mineral imbalance or dehydration, um, but kind of like a medium brown color. Um, if that's happening for you, um, great. Things are probably working pretty dang well in that department. But if you're having trouble fully eliminating, if things are pretty loose or on the other side, really hard and hard to pass, um, if you're skipping days between having bowel movements, um, you need some support in the gut health department. Um, which it's perfect because our next topic would is going to be nutrition. So let's let's start there. What would be your top tips to help support your gut health? Yeah. Well, eating enough, <laughs> I know it might sound pretty repetitive and maybe a little surprising, but in order to poop regularly and healthy, we have to make sure we're eating enough first. Um, and as part of that food that you're eating, making sure you're having enough fiber is, is really important. And so, um, I mean, produce is helpful for fiber. So your fruits and your veggies, definitely even your starchy veggies are good sources of fiber as well. Um, our whole grains are going to be beneficial for fiber support to seeds, super helpful for fiber. Also, um, hydration is also really important for gut health too, because if we're increasing our fiber, too fast without enough hydration, you're going to become even more constipated more, and bloated more and, and bloated. Your stomach will hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. All of the things you don't want. Um, so increasing hydration is really important too. And when I say hydration, I don't mean water alone. Um, um, minerals are really supportive of hydration too. So making sure you're getting foods that are high in potassium, which could be your banana is, um, a lot of of, a lot of fruits are good sources of potassium, but also like root veggies are good sources of potassium too. So like your carrots and your potatoes, um, even winter squashes are a good option for potassium salt. I mean, mm -hmm. mineralized salt is going to be really helpful. Your sea salt, like don't be afraid of salting your food. Um, the salt we want to avoid is like fast food salt, the salt that's been so processed, there's no other minerals in it. Um, I mean, we don't want to limit that as much as we can. Um, and then of course, other things that are going to support, um, I mean, those, those are two really, really helpful things for gut health. Uh, another big helpful thing for gut health is collagen, um, or, or foods that are rich in your glycine and collagen. So those would be, um, animal proteins, your slow cooked meats, for instance, meat on the bone, um, are, are going to be beneficial bone broth. Of course, is going to be helpful there. And that's really nourishing your lining of your gut. Um, so that's really helpful. And of course I can't forget probiotic foods, but probiotic rich foods. So fiber is giving you a lot of what we called, um, prebiotics or those fibers that are going to feed good bacteria, um, make a happier bacterial environment. Probiotics are actually giving you live probiotics, live bacteria. Um, so that would be like your fermented foods, sauerkraut. Is one of my favorites. We can think about yogurts, um, kefir, um, those types of things. And those are going to be heck of a lot higher in probiotics than a supplement. Um, supplements are really, really helpful also though, like pre and probiotic supplements can, can be a game changer for you as well. In addition to your diet. Yeah. That's what I always say to people when it's like, okay, deciding between like, do I take the food or the supplement? It's like, well, let's look at your diet and like, are you getting a daily dose of what, like if we're saying probiotic, are you getting a daily dose of probiotic? Um, are you will, or are you willing to, is kind of the thing too. It's yeah. like, are you willing to get that in? Um, so like for ease of, but I want to go back to Brooke to you saying, and I know it's hard because it's, we're, you know, it's hard to generalize for everyone, especially when we go so specific with each of our clients. But when we say eating enough, do you have like a general rule for how someone's plate should look or just how they can kind of do a little gut check right now of like, Oh, maybe I'm not eating enough based on what your recommendations typically are. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I always like to go back to like, what is your body telling you? What is your cycle telling you? Are you ovulating regularly? Um, but I've definitely worked with many women who are ovulating regularly and still not eating enough, which can impair egg quality. So, I mean, for starters, like check in with your cycle, um, that that's a really important sign as far as gauging how much you're eating. If you are somebody that is cycle tracking and you are actually taking basal body temperatures, like you can tune into that and see what's happening with metabolism because your temperatures are, are a sign of how your metabolic health is happening, AKA like, are you eating enough or have you been under eating for way too long? And your metabolism has shifted down to that. That's a really deep conversation. But if your temperatures are consistently below 97.5, um, you're probably not eating enough. Um, as far as like looking at your plate, um, I mean, we want to make sure we're, we're including a good amount of protein, good quality protein. Um, I typically recommend a hundred grams of protein for women, um, a day minimum. So I'm with you. Yeah. And that can be like a big jump from where a lot of my clients are, are starting like 20, 30 grams, like they're going to have to be increasing. So if you're somebody who can comfortably track and feel not feel like it becomes like really obsessive and negative, um, tracking can be helpful to check in where, where you're at now, and then help you visualize what hundred grams a day or more is going to look like for you. Then leave the tracking. I'm not really a fan of tracking long-term because of the negative implications of it, but helpful to check in now and then. Um, and then as far as carbs go, um, I mean, around 200 grams of carbs, it, it varies quite a bit based on like your activity level, your size, um, of course, and, and like how comfortable you feel and the weight you're in and all of those types of things. But most women need around 200 grams of carbs to ovulate pretty consistently and to make sure that they're getting enough nutrients in for fertility and supporting equality. Um, so keeping that in mind, you definitely want protein, you want a carb source at all of your meals. And then, um, of course, healthy fats and, and, um, your veggies, non-starchy veggies are always supportive to you. your non-starchy veggies. Aren't going to give you much in the form of energy Your calories are giving you nutrients, but they're not going to move the dial as far as making sure you're getting enough energy. Um, um, but if you add that healthy fat onto those non-starchy veggies, like you're definitely changing the game there because you're, you're going to be increasing your energy as well. So I typically recommend cooking with healthy fats, adding healthy fats, you know, not being afraid of fat and, and then checking in with the carbs and the protein. And then you're, you're likely going to be eating enough if you're doing that. Yeah. And having those like well-balanced meals, and we were talking earlier about like blood sugar balance, which can be really important, even having those carbs, because you're having your protein, your healthy fats, you know, fiber from those veggies, probably some fiber in your carbs, that's going to help minimize, you know, any blood sugar spikes. But I want to point out too, for everyone listening, Brooke was talking about lots of vitamins and minerals from carbs. So we are talking about whole food, unrefined carbs. So, it, you know, our refined carbs, which we want to steer away from more are stripped of all of their nutrients. And those are pretty much anything made with white flour or white sugar. So even like, yes, our white pasta, um, you know, and then we think about our sweets, but I just wanted to make that clarification because sometimes I feel like we can just run with, Oh, great. I should start eating more carbs. And a lot of us, I feel like we associate pasta, rice, bread, et cetera, more so with carbs than thinking about fruit and starchy vegetables like potatoes, corn, um, peas, or like, or talking about like our lentils and our beans and things like that. Um, so just as a note there, but I, you know what, I did want to ask you, Brooke, because just where I had seen some research, what are your thoughts on for fertility, but eating more of a 
plant-based diet versus meat-based. I know the I know the research like it keeps going. I wouldn't say back and forth, but there are there are some solid studies that promote eating less meat when you're trying to get pregnant. But I'm really curious your thoughts on it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always I feel like there's always benefit to increasing plants in our diet. Um, the risk of limiting animal protein too much is that we get a lot of our really important fertility nutrients from those mm-hmm. foods. So we always have to keep in mind where that animal protein is being sourced and how it is being eaten because research is not perfect. And if we're looking at, I mean, um, research that is focused on comparing, um, more animal protein based diets versus more plant protein diets, it's really hard to tease apart, like where, that protein is coming from? Like, is it a fast food hamburger or is it like a grass fed steak? Like there's a pretty big difference there as far as context of what's being eaten with and, and, and even like what the meat is actually made of (laughs) um, that is being considered animal protein. So, I mean, I always strip it down to like, okay, what do we need as far as ingredients to support things like egg quality and sperm quality? And we need, um, a good amount of vitamins like B12 and B6. Um, I mean, B12 is primarily in animal products. Choline is another one that's really important for that. And it's definitely highest and most bioavailable or easiest for our body to use in animal products. Um, and B6 is found in both plants and animals, but it's pretty hard to get uh, enough of in plants alone. Um, folate is a lot of, of plants. Um, so that's definitely really important. So I don't think it it can safely be like one or the other, but we definitely yeah. need to be including both and definitely thinking about the types and how it's eaten um, of all of it, definitely the plant foods and, and the, um, protein foods is, is really important because thinking about the ancestral, um, kind of diet and how, um, cultures in the past have used whole, whole animals and, um, incorporated them in their diets. And then looking at things like fertility rates and that sort of thing. Like we, we see a pretty drastic difference in solely plant-based versus including animal proteins too. Yeah. And it is hard to reach. I mean, I, I know many, you know, vegetarians and vegans that can meet their protein needs, but to get a hundred grams of protein a day from strictly a plant-based diet is very difficult. Um, and I'm with you, Brooke, on, I have seen a lot of women who actually, they've had their first child and they were omnivores and then were having issues having their second, but they had switched to a vegetarian or vegan diet after. Now, again, like we can't make right the causation there, but it's a lot of the times you're just missing some of those nutrients or it's just tough to really get them in, um, which falls into our last foundational piece, um, our supplements. So are there particular supplements that you find you're typically putting most of your clients on or just ones that people should, um, have top of mind if they're having issues with fertility? Yeah, I typically have um majority of my clients on a comprehensive prenatal, both men and women. Um so the men don't get to skip that one either. Um because it's helpful to fill in the gaps, right? Supplements are there to fill in the gaps. Um I never expect anybody to be completely perfect with their diet and make sure that they're, you know, meeting the folate recommendations and the B12 recommendations and all of those really important nutrients that are so involved in egg quality and sperm quality on a day-to-day basis. Like we have to live our lives too, right. To decrease that stress piece of, of the trying to conceive journey. So definitely prenatals. Um, I typically, I mean, from there it's, pretty individualized depending on like what their journey has looked like, what issues their, their, um, or barriers have come up in their journey. Um, but 
higher dose antioxidants are typically on the list. We can talk about things like NAC, N-acetylcysteine, um, and CoQ10 are pretty common ones, but, um, need to be individualized. We can individualize supplements, um, really well with a semen analysis. So based on what's happening with the, the markers of, of count and shape and movement, um, um, we can definitely individualize it further for men, depending on their diet, uh, we fill in gaps further. So if fish is off the table, for instance, and they're like, heck no, I'm not eating fatty fish two to three times a week. Then we're definitely talking about DHA, um, or fish oil type supplements. Um, yeah, I work a lot with, um, uh, testing too. So, um, mineral analysis testing is helpful to see what's happening with things like vitamin A and iron and magnesium and all of those things. So we just individualize it from there. That's, you know what, that was the one I was thinking of top of mind was magnesium just because I love it so much because right. Like it can, with our, we talked about movement, sleep, stress, and it touches all those things. And so I find so many people are low in magnesium and it's mainly cause like we're on this, the stress hamster wheel. Um, and it's really hard as our stress increases, our magnesium decreases, we excrete more. So it's like this constant cycle. Um, so that's always one I think of, but I'm curious Brooke, with talking about the different, and I'm, I know you're so involved with the testing, like you said, but are there other testing, um, or other nutrient testings that people should be focused on that you find so many people just miss the mark? Like if they're just going to their fertility doctor and they do like the standard, um, fertility testing, are there specific ones you would recommend people do? Definitely vitamin D. Um, that one's overlooked way too, too much. And it is functions like a hormone and it has a big impact on other markers like AMH, for instance, like we can actually see a falsely low AMH if vitamin D is low. So, um, that goes for other nutrients too, but asking for vitamin D asking for folate B12, um, those are helpful. Um, a lot of minerals, are best looked at intracellularly. <laughs> and so that's different. I mean, we can test that in blood, like for magnesium, like a red blood cell magnesium is going to be more accurate than just a regular serum magnesium. Um, so you can definitely ask for that RBC magnesium or red blood cell magnesium as well. Zinc is going to be helpful too, especially for well, for female fertility too, but also for male fertility. Um, those are typically the nutrients I look at in blood. And then from there, I, I mean, I know this is not something you can ask for at your doctor, but a, a hair mineral test is where I go for more investigation. Cause that's really looking at what you're using inside your cells over like a three month period. So it's a pretty, pretty awesome test. Oh, that's to give us yeah, that's insight. great. Uh, yeah, I hadn't even heard of that. And I know even it's so like defeating. I feel like that we're still at a point where like vitamin D testing isn't routine because pretty much everyone's low. And this is just like, it should just be part of our, you know, our yearly checkup to go see the doctor that we get our vitamin D levels tested because it's linked to, unfortunately, um, so many different, right. Like so many different things, whether, we're talking about, you know, trying to Im help improve fertility or, um, help with our immune system. There's just so many ways, but that's a topic for another day. Um, we talked about so many great things today, Brooke, but I'm curious with all the recommendations we talked about, are these all recommendations for our men too, or are there other like specific things for them or things that they should be avoiding that's different from like the male and female? Yes. So, um, the way the male anatomy is designed is to store sperm on the outside of the body. And there's a few reasons that that's important for like it, they need to be cool and they don't want to be restricted. So 
stop wearing restrictive underwear and pants. Um, if you're a cyclist, you might want to tone that back for a few months, um, because that can be really restricting, um, along with the attire that's typically worn with that. Like that's definitely creating heat, creating restriction. And I think of sperm as like a little tinfoil army. They are mighty, but quite fragile. So once they, um, on their journey to be created, like they're fragile too. And once they're stored, um, they're also very fragile. So anything that is going to damage them is going to make it harder to conceive, um, or a lower quality sperm. So potentially harder to conceive. Um, so avoiding saunas, avoiding hot tubs, avoiding hot baths, um, is also really important. Avoid sitting with your laptop on your lap and avoid storing your phone in your front pockets. Um, that has also associated with decreased sperm quality as well. Um, those are all really important along with everything else we talked about. I mean, the other things that are important for men and women too are, um, no smoking. I mean, smoking is not great for egg quality or sperm quality. And that means tobacco and marijuana. Um, so that's, that's definitely something I find that I need to mention more often because I'm not asking that question enough, but it's definitely associated with decreased sperm and egg quality. Yeah, no, makes sense. Um, and my final, oh, I know we're running out of time. I hate this part. Um, but my final question would be for anyone listening who maybe, you know, they're starting to think about maybe trying to get pregnant or they're a few months behind then what in what and when is a time to maybe start focusing? I mean, obviously we should be focusing on our egg quality at all times, right? Or everything we talked about is also just like a healthy way of living, but what's the little red flag that maybe you should start like how many months if you're trying until you say to yourself, okay, I think I need to put more of a focus on my egg quality or my partner's, um, right. Semen quality. When, when do you suggest is kind of that, when that little red flag should pop up? Yeah. I mean, I recommend three to four months of trying to conceive to start looking into more testing. And it doesn't mean like you should be worried at that yeah. point, but just start like checking in, like, how are we eating? How are we living? How are we sleeping? Um, those things are a great place to start with. And if you've always kind of had this gut feeling, which I feel like most most couples do, or at least the female does, um, that something's off or like you haven't gotten much attention or, um, response from a concern that you have risen in the past, um, around your cycle or your health or something, start digging into that now more like advocate more for yourself, find a new doctor. If you feel like that's going to be the best route for you. Um, but unfortunately those gut feelings are typically bright, um, and, and just waiting and continuing to try to conceive for a year and then having them push you down that infertility protocol, which, um, is medication and IUI and IVF is typically not necessary for a majority of, of couples, unfortunately. So if we can take a step back and think about how to support that equality and sperm quality, you're going to hopefully avoid um, that journey altogether. Um, but I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't started trying to conceive yet, like considering six months to a year before trying to conceive of really fine tuning your, your nutrition and lifestyle to support fertility is awesome because it takes a minimum of three to four months to, um, really see a significant improvement in egg quality and sperm quality is right along there with it. I mean, we can see a significant improvement in about 75 days, but a hundred days, you're going to see an even, even better improvement there. So do it together. Um, um, and, and making these changes, of course, like Kate said, is healthy way of living. So it's not only going to support your fertility, but it's just going to support your overall health too. No, that's great advice, Brooke. Oh, I wish we had more time. Um, we do like to end every episode though, with a little rapid fire Q and a. So first thing that comes to mind, what Brooke is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Deep breathing. 
I like it. A little belly breathing. Yeah. Yeah. I find it really quick and, and very impactful. (laughs) Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. What's your, what's your go-to? Spearmint. Oh, I like it. Um, favorite home cooked meal. Oh man. I don't know if one is even going to pop into my mind. (laughs) I mean, I love food. So, um, I mean, one of my favorites is actually, uh, what I call a burger bowl. (laughs) So it's, it's literally like, a grass-fed hamburger with a lot of leafy greens and a like a salad mix that has like Brussels sprouts and cabbage, like all kind of and kale, like all shredded up in there. Um, and then you put the burger toppings like in with it and it has to have dill pickles with it. Um, I actually use, uh, barbecue sauce and goat cheese mm. <laughs> too. I don't know. It's simple, but it, it definitely is is a good one oh, with a side of sweet speech. potato fries. Of course. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> are there some fries in this equation? No, you are speaking my language. I'm like, I'm such a proponent, unless it's like a really good seated bun. I don't really care for the bun with a burger. I'd rather have just all the toppings and the sweet potato yeah. fries, like all the good stuff. Um, well, Brooke, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. Um, I'd love for you to just tell everyone where they can find you, connect with you, work with you. Um, where can they just learn more and learn more about, uh, improving their fertility? Yeah. So one of the main places to come say hi is Instagram. So I'm at the dot fertility dot dietitian there. Um, and then of course my website, it's the fertility dietitian dot health. You can check out my programs and services there. If you wish, I offer private coaching as well as group um, coaching too. Um, my group program is currently running. It'll run again later this year. So if you want to be on the lookout for that, jump on that wait list, but my private coaching wait list is always open as well. Um, yeah, but that that's really it. I have a bunch of blogs up on my website and other podcast recordings there too, if you want to listen and learn more. Amazing. Thank you so much, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. Whether you are thinking about conceiving in the next year or are struggling to conceive, the main lifestyle factor I want you to focus on based on today's episode is managing your stress and your reaction to stressors. As much as you can, try to let go a little bit, take the pressure off and focus your attention on other enjoyable aspects of your life. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.